You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Up everybody, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests are going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Got some of our faves coming up today. Tim Kirkshen, Julie Foudy among them. And lots to get to for a Tuesday post-Super Bowl. We got some cleanup to do on some things that we might have missed around the sports world as we focused on the NFL But we're starting right back with the NFL again, Fitz, because even though the season is over, there's a whole new season. It's a whole new season of quarterback chaos. And what's most fascinating about this offseason is not just how few teams have a certainty at quarterback, but also the way we're seeing changing quarterback empowerment as it evolves. It's mostly focused on Deshaun Watson. There's a little clamor around Aaron Rodgers. And now, out of nowhere, let's throw Russell Wilson into the mix. Because (laughs) here's what he had to say today on the Dan Patrick show. Yeah, I definitely believe the guy in calls, for sure. I think that, you know, I think anytime you're a player that, you know, tries to produce every week and has done it for, you know, consistently, I think people are going to call for sure. And I think it's part of the process. Yeah, but you're a franchise quarterback. You're a Hall of Fame quarterback. You're not available, are you? Well, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm available or not. That's a, that's a Seahawks question. But I think also, I think more than anything else is, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, you, you want to win. You know, you play this game every day to wake up to win. You play this game to be the best in the world. Okay, we'll get to the you play to win and I need some input. Let's start with the I'm not sure if I'm available. Fitz, your ears perking up for that? I mean, yes, but I'm trying to figure out what's real, Sarah, because for years we've always said that, you know, there's no NBA culture in the NFL, that a player can't just come in and assert their own uh, sort of will into how they want their destiny to play out. Now all of a sudden I'm sitting here trying to figure out how to wrap my head around the possibility that we could have Deshaun Watson saying, nah, I'm okay, and we could have Aaron Rodgers saying, nope, I think I'm going to go somewhere else, and now we want to add Russ to the list? Like, I'm not sure my brain can handle that much chaos happening at one time. And for him to come out and say, well, I don't know if I'm available, you'd have to ask the Seahawks. I mean, this is whatever the intent is, it is a statement being made by the superstar quarterback, and it's not a statement that would make me really comfortable if I'm the Seahawks as an organization. Suddenly their ears are perking up saying, man, this is about to get public. He said on a Zoom, like any player, you never want to get hit. That's the reality of playing this position. Ask any quarterback who wants to play this game, but at the same time, it's part of the job and everything else. I think that the reality is I've definitely been hit. I've been sacked almost 400 times, so we've got to get better. I've got to find ways to get better, too. Russell Wilson sacked at least 40 times a season for eight straight seasons, which is an NFL record. The longest anyone else has had to endure that many blows has been three seasons in a row. It's clear that they need to get him some help on the O-line, and it's clear that there need to be some changes because, as someone pointed out today, first two seasons in the league, just like Patrick Mahomes, two Super Bowls, 1-1. And what has happened since for the Seahawks? They're always in the mix. They're not in the Super Bowl. They're not even in the championship game. So why aren't we harping on the Seahawks the same way we do with the Packers on, yeah, on we, the potential that they might be wasting a Hall of Famer with just one Super Bowl win? The answer to that, I think, is that so many people became infatuated with Pete Carroll. I mean, you're right. Should we be? Yes. But it feels like certain brands just get extended benefit of the doubt. Pete Carroll uh, with the Seahawks has gotten them because 
of the way that he built this and how good the defense was and that everybody did think they were on the precipice of being dominant for so many reasons. And then it was, well, you know, let Russ cook, and then now it's get Russ more support. I mean, I feel like there has been some – they've lived in a bubble in some regards to it. Not saying they should. That's just been the way it's been covered. And, you know, the the hardest part about this, Sarah, is that in my mind so often when you have your quarterback, you can take a collective sigh of relief as a fan base. You say, hey, don't worry. We'll get the rest of it figured out. We figured out the most important position in all of sports. Now we're suddenly seeing, well, if you figure that out, but you don't figure out the other things around that quarterback, that quarterback may want something different. That's a strange position for an organization to be in. Absolutely. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. The angle on this is, of course, if you have the quarterback position short up, then you don't have a quarterback problem. Or do you now, if that quarterback isn't happy? We've talked about how Watson is that rare unicorn who is young enough and talented enough to try to force his way off of a team in a sport where their union is so weak and their protections and guaranteed money so weak that you're not likely to be able to affect things the way you can if you're a LeBron James or an Anthony Davis or any other player who wants to force their way into a certain situation. It doesn't happen in the NFL. It can with Watson because it's a very specific set of characteristics that make him primed and ready to be able to try that. But we're not seeing it other places. We can, though, see guys make things uncomfortable. We can see guys force a trade or make a team acquiesce to their demands because of the way that they've complained about the role that they have. And I think we're seeing now a lot more guys being vocal about, I know what I need on this team. I'm not just an athlete who gets moved about like a pawn. I should have some say in this. And that's left us with a lot of questions about, you know, what it means to actually demand a trade, to get value back in those major trades. In fact, Andrew Brandt, former Packers vice president, was on KJNZ this morning and talked about how difficult when you get that big of a star it is to try to actually make deals. They're not stupid. They're not going to trade the best player, the best asset they have. I mean, what are you going to trade Deshaun Watson for, Patrick Mahomes? What are you going to trade Aaron Rodgers for, Patrick Mahomes and three picks? I mean, they're not stupid. So, yes, I know there's agitation from the Watson camp, but we're in February. So can't they fix this? Not now, maybe in March, maybe in April, but Deshaun Watson doesn't have leverage until the team gathers. Mm -hmm. Then there's real leverage, but there's no leverage right now. Do you agree with Sarah, that? I, I, I could not disagree with Andrew Brandt more. And I, as much as I respect his past, that's antiquated logic. I mean, first and foremost, he has leverage because if they wait until everybody gets together in the summer and that's when Deshaun says, you know what? I'm just not going to play for you guys. What are the Texans going to do then? Because they won't have get, they won't be able to get anything back in trade value that helps them this season. So they'll have to burn this season coming and then wait for next year's draft to get whatever they're going to get in hopes that they can then start to build forward. So they're going to have to sell their fan base on, hey, we're going to start a rebuild next year, and this year we're just going to stink, which is also difficult. And two, I've heard Andrew Brandt talk a lot about the money that's at stake and the dead money in this without even mentioning that, for example, Brandon Cooks was traded away and the uh, the Rams took a 21.8 million dollar cap hit from that Nick Foles you know this well traded to the Bears the Jags took an 18.7 million dollar cap hit for that we now see teams willing to take the cap hit if they have to to find cheap labor labor where they need it and move forward I, I think that there's absolutely precedent that shows dead cap money isn't something that will keep a deal from being done and I think absolutely Deshaun and any other quarterback that wants to impact their destiny should do it before the draft because that's the fastest way for the team that's losing that superstar to start their rebuild.
I agree with that, but I also think that we could be in for a very long game of chicken with him if they say we're not getting the offers that we want and we are happy to stand pat and let you sit out a whole season to get back what we feel we need for losing a guy like you. And will he be willing to do that? Will they be willing to go that far? Um, I, I do think we could be in for a bit of a longer haul here because it is so hard to match up whatever pieces you get back for a player like that. Meantime, you've got Wentz, where we heard, this is imminent. It could happen any second now. And I was crossing my fingers and toes that it wasn't the Bears. And here we are a couple days later where the question is, was that something the Eagles planted in the hopes of driving more interest and offers? And are they not getting, from what we're hearing, they're not getting what they want. They want a big haul. And what they want a big haul for is a guy that they benched, that we know wants out, that they have no leverage with. I don't know why they think they would get a great deal for a guy that they have showed us this season was almost last in everything, and that they benched and then fired their coach to try to save, and he so wants out that that move didn't even matter, and he's still asking out. Why would any team throw much at them? They know they're desperate. Yeah, you're right. It's the same game of chicken. This time it's just organizational chicken, and and in the past they've seen enough proof of concept to know that eventually the Eagles are the one that's going to be stuck, You know, as yeah. opposed to Deshaun Watson, where we've never seen this situation where somebody like Deshaun says, oh, I'll sit out a year until we see that. I understand that game of chicken. This is the same thing. Everybody's looking at the Eagles saying, fine, you're, you're the ones that are absolutely up a creek. So we'll, let, we'll see where it goes for you guys. They're going to wait and let that value drive down. Well, and Katie Nolan said it on HQ today. It feels like the Eagles think that they've got the Stafford in this situation, but it, they actually have the Goff, the guy mm. with the big contract that you need to unload. Uh, so people aren't going to come running with a lot of picks. Coming up, it's not just quarterback chaos season. It's also hot take season and wouldn't you know who's in the crossfire it's patrick mahomes future hall of famer patrick mahomes untouchable patrick mahomes we'll tell you what a former nfl linebacker said about him today you're listening to the spain and fitz podcast spain jason fitz spain and fitz espn radio espn app sirius xm channel 80 it's time for straight talk brought to you by straight talk wireless we were just talking about the qb chaos we're going to keep tabs on that hoping to get some representatives from some of the cities involved, Chicago being one of them, as they look to figure out who's going to be taking snaps for them next season and who might be available. Even the Russell Wilson's in the mix, perhaps. But in the meantime, we're still reflecting on the season that was and the game that was on Sunday. A pretty shocking result. You know, in hindsight, you can tell yourself, oh, well, we should have guessed that that offensive line would be a bigger deal. Or, oh, we should have figured that Tom Brady would be dangerous with a real set of good offensive weapons. But... For the most part, none of us saw it coming. What we might have been able to see coming is a flip-flop on future Hall of Famer Patrick Mahomes. Because anytime everyone in the industry is heaping praise and saying the same things about an athlete, there's certain to be a crack in that facade coming. And Pablo Torre, on Friday's episode of Highly Questionable, sort of called this when he talked about his concerns that if things went wrong for Mahomes and the Chiefs, it might allow people to start to dig in on him as a choker. It means more to Patrick Mahomes, I think, because we are not mean more to Patrick Mahomes. Like, Patrick Mahomes, inside, he must be worried that the public opinion, like the tide, is going to turn on him at some point, right? <laughs> like there is no quarterback, there is no athlete who is this unanimously beloved and respected that I can remember. And so Patrick Mahomes needs to win this Super Bowl because I think deep down he realizes he is a bad snap, another offensive line injury to an offensive line that is deeply already injured. 
He is so close to being called a choker, and I think he can feel it. Woo! It was such a hot take that our mouths dropped open, and yet here we are, Fitz, on the Tuesday after the Super Bowl, hearing plenty of people disparage one Patrick Mahomes. There's a smart way to do this, and there's the way to do it that's going to turn into a soundbite in the next several years. And I said this <laughs> uh, right after the Super Bowl when uh, when I was doing the postgame show. I want to state something here that doesn't have an opinion or anything around it. I'm just stating something here. Patrick Mahomes has not played particularly well in seven of the eight quarters of the Super Bowls he's been in. That being said, as pointed out multiple times, his plays in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl against the 49ers won them that game. It's part of why he got the MVP. And I'm not going to put a few quarters of football ahead of a body of evidence that we've seen from everything else that he's done. This is what we always seem to do where we overvalue the Super Bowl, particularly in conversations about the quarterback. I hope someday that whoever is in charge of the conversations about the NFL and even Hall of Fame voting someday isn't sort of beholden to that same standard because we make it all about one game. Patrick Mahomes has struggled. That doesn't mean Patrick Mahomes isn't epic. It's so funny that during the commercial, as we were getting ready for this segment, I see the NFL films video released from the Super Bowl. Now, Mm -hmm. these guys are feeling good about themselves. These Bucs players, they've got a lead. They're watching Mahomes run for his life, but they're still in the middle of a Super Bowl watching the opponent and the, the mic'd up guys are saying, This guy is unbelievable. Chris Godwin is watching and reacting like, oh, how did he do that? Yo, 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 he's a magician. I'm convinced. Right? Number 15, he's a magician. He's spinning out of nowhere. How did he do that? Throwing the ball backwards with his left hand. Like, these guys are watching their opponent in the Super Bowl, and they can't believe what they're seeing. There's literally, there's a shot of the Bucs on the bench. How did he do that? How is he doing that? And so it's funny that so quickly while watching that and even acknowledging the amazing things he was doing in the game, there are still those who are reading this as some sort of indictment. I saw Marcellus Wiley, our our former teammate, on his show today saying, this is the end for the Chiefs. This is the blow that's going to take away the magic that they've had going forward. And even today on KJNZ, we heard this from Bart Scott. I believe that Deshaun Watson is a better quarterback than Mahomes. Life sometimes, Jay, is about location, location, location. And if you think I'm lying, wait till you see what Matthew Stafford looks like in a Rams uniform. When you th- think about the great season that Deshaun Watson had in spite of an organization that's in disarray, in spite of you know not having the personnel that he needs, if you put him around a place where he's protected, we talked about Carson Wentz getting beat up. Man, we, Deshaun Watson's been running for his life for the, the better part we, of, of the half of his career. All right, that's taking it too far. And Deshaun Watson is incredibly talented, and maybe fits. We see him with better weapons and coaching, and he gets to that level, but I don't think you could say that yet. Uh, I'm just going to give you straight talk, straight talk, wireless, no contract, no <laughs> compromise. If you gave truth serum to 31 of the GMs in the NFL and told them straight up they could trade Patrick Mahomes for their quarterback that they have right now, all 31 of them would make that trade. You can't convince me otherwise. I don't see any reason. If you told Tampa Bay that they could send Tom Brady, but they would get Patrick Mahomes in in replacement for him, knowing that he is so young and knowing what's in front of his career and knowing what we've seen from his body of work, there isn't a single GM in the NFL that wouldn't make a straight-up trade to trade their quarterback for Patrick Mahomes. That's just it's insane to think otherwise. Yeah, and I think one thing that I said earlier that I that is 
necessary to keep in mind is this is similar to the path of a Russell Wilson early in his career, making a couple Super Bowls, winning a Super Bowl. And as much as people are assuming that Patrick Mahomes is going to rack up seven, eight rings, I mean, there's there's takes before that Super Bowl that he has to beat Tom in this head-to-head so that when they both end up with the same number of Super Bowl rings, he's got a one-up on him. And I mean, <laughs> what are we doing there? Tom Brady has more Super Bowl victories than any franchise on its own in their entire team's history. And we're just assuming that Mahomes is going to go on to have the same success. It doesn't work that way in team sports. And so that's why I think people are getting way too hot takey about Patrick Mahomes' talent. But I do not think it is all... It is at all out of the realm of possibility that we do not see the Chiefs just keep going back every single year. It's it's hard to do. Well, you're right. It is hard to do. And as a Raiders fan, I want to believe that you're right, that they're not going to go back year in and year out. I still go back to how decimated this offensive line was. And, uh, you know, that's something. The Chiefs are going to have some challenges in keeping their roster together over the course of the next five years. And I don't think anything's a given. But I still think that this is such a dominant team at certain positions. At their skill positions, they're so dominant. At quarterback, they're so dominant. Kelsey is so dominant. Tyreek Hill is so hard to cover. Uh, I mean, I think we're also looking at what the Bucks did, and it's easy to look at that and say, everybody can do that. Like we talked about yesterday, I don't think that's possible. You're right. It's not easy to go in and run off Super Bowls. But if you had to ask me to put you know money on whether or not I think the Chiefs are a double-digit win team for the next five to ten years, I would still put that money on them being du- double-digit wins and constantly in the conversation I completely agree with you I just think that this was the inevitable and and I said to Pablo on Friday on HQ it reminds me of like the Anne Hathaway Jennifer Lawrence Amy Schumer thing like someone gets real hot and peaks and then everybody wants to take them down it doesn't happen as often with athletes it doesn't happen as often with men in general but this is what we're seeing now there's something about universal praise that causes some people to turn. And there are plenty today saying that Patrick Mahomes is not taking enough blame and accountability for the way things went down. Certainly something to keep an eye on. Coming up, we're going to look back on the life and career of the great Marty Schottenheimer. It's coming up next on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. The ESPN app and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast, too, where you can get some exclusive content that you can only get uh, on the podcast. Always a a great way to uh, get anything that you missed from the show and also a little bit of bonus footage uh, or bonus content, I should say. Footage. You never know, Sarah. Apparently, I've I've put us into the uh, video world at this point. You start putting footage up of me without asking. You know, I... uh... Only do it on Around the Horn days where somebody else did my makeup before radio. (laughs) (laughs) Well, obviously, uh, through all of the conversation today about everything in the world of sports, uh, there was some sad news for football fans everywhere as a legendary coach, Marty Schottenheimer, passed away today. And we wanted to get a little insight on it. Uh, So we're going to head over to the Goodyear Hotline, where we're joined by Carl Peterson, who spent 20 years with the Kansas City Chiefs as president, CEO, and GM. Carl, thanks so much for the time. We really appreciate you joining us. As everybody knows, I grew up a Raiders fan. I was just telling Sarah, you knew when I was a kid as a Raiders fan that the Chiefs were always going to be impossible to beat because Marty Schottenheimer didn't have teams that made mistakes. You hired him. What was it about Marty Schottenheimer that stood out to you that made him the right decision to bring the Chiefs to where they were? Well, probably one of the things is what you just indicated. He, uh, his teams didn't make mistakes, but uh, I've known Marty, I knew Marty 
going back to when I was coaching with the uh, Can- or excuse me, the Philadelphia Eagles, and he was coaching with the New York Giants in the NFC East, and uh, we played twice a year, and I followed his career. And uh, when I went into the administrative part of it and got hired by Mari or by Lamar Hunt, um, I needed to find uh, an experienced playoff winning uh, head football coach. And uh, I started my interview process and Marty called me out of the blue and said, listen, you might not believe this, but um, I just got fired at Cleveland. I still want to be a head coach. Uh, Carl, we know each other. I have want to be a head coach uh, again. And uh, I know you're looking for one. Can we talk? And I said, absolutely. Uh, Thank you, Art Modell, frankly. And uh, (laughs) by the second interview, second interview, I hired him and, um, he brought to me just exactly what I, I had hoped for. We had hoped for, I, I of course, uh, was in contact with our, our owner, Lamar Hunt in Dallas, Texas. And he thought it'd be a, a great hire if we could get him. Um, there were other teams that were after him, but, uh, thank goodness he chose Kansas city and, uh, he came and helped us, uh, turn this, uh, dormant franchise around. They'd lost, uh, 15 of the previous 16 years. And uh, the very first year we won, and then we were in uh, seven playoff years. And uh, and uh, as you said, as a former Raider fan, I think his record was seventeen and two Ooh, against the yeah, yeah. hated Raiders. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so uh, much, Carl. <laughs> yeah. uh, former Chiefs GM Carl Peterson with us here on Spain and Fitz talking about the late Marty Schottenheimer. When people think about early Schottenheimer years with the Chiefs, they think Marty Ball. What does Marty Ball mean to you? Well, Marty was uh, a conservative head football coach. He liked to run the ball because uh, uh, unless you fumble it a great deal, you're going to control the ball. And if you've got good running backs, and we had a couple guys, Christian Okoye, the Nigerian nightmare, and Barry Ward, uh, both of them about 250, 260, uh, we could run the ball. And we had a play-action quarterback by the name of Steve DeBerg, and he did a great job for us. But uh, Marty's forte was defense. He was a defensive coordinator uh, with two different teams, including Cleveland, before he got the head job there. And we played great defense. And our first draft choice in 1989 was a guy by the name of Derek Thomas and uh, went on to be a a pro football Hall of Famer. Uh, Derek Thomas and Neil Smith and a great defense uh, made us a very formidable team. But... um, Marty uh, had a way with players like the great coaches do to communicate in a way that the player really believed that Marty was going to put them, and he did, in a position to be successful. And uh, we had uh, 10 great years together. Uh, He retired for a couple of years, then went back into it, had a couple more uh, terrific years, so Washington and San Diego, and then finished it up. But I... uh, I'll always be grateful to Marty and his lovely wife, Pat, and my condolences and my wife's condolences to go out to Pat and their family, Kristen and, and Brian, who's uh, now a new offensive uh, passing coordinator at Jacksonville. But um, I know what they have suffered and endured for the past six years with Marty's uh, situation of dementia and, and Alzheimer's. So uh, God bless them and, and God bless Marty. We're talking to Carl Peterson. Spent 20 years with the Chiefs as president, CEO, and GM, as we remember uh, the great Marty Schottenheimer. And 
You know, Carl, you just mentioned that he was a, a conservative a, a head coach in some ways offensively. If the Internet had it existed back in the day uh, when <laughs> Joe Montana went to the Chiefs, I can only imagine <laughs> that it would have been an absolute firestorm of controversy around having uh, such a great quarterback go to a conservative head coach. What was that relationship like? Was there an adjustment period then? Well, frankly, after uh, three, four years of, of uh, a conservative uh, offense, and uh, and yet getting to the playoffs and obviously a tremendous defense. Both Marty and I came to the conclusion that we needed to get ourselves, uh, as I did a few years earlier with him, a playoff-winning, experienced quarterback, a Super Bowl quarterback. And that's when I made the trade uh, with the 49ers for Joe, Joe Montana. I knew they couldn't keep Joe and, and uh, their other quarterback because of the salary cap. And so we changed our philosophy somewhat, and uh, Joe took us to the AFC Championship game. It was it was a great uh, first year. <laughs> Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. We're talking to a longtime Chiefs GM, Carl Peterson, about the late Marty Schottenheimer. One of the headlines I saw today that had a lot of people talking in the Washington Post um, – <coughs> Uh, you know, pointed to some of the legacy of Schottenheimer, and it said Marty Schottenheimer, NFL coach whose teams wilted in the postseason, dies at 77. Felt unfair for a headline, unnecessary for a headline, but certainly part of his legacy was a 5-13 and record in the playoffs after he made winners out of so many different teams. Do you think that's keeping him out of the Hall of Fame? First of all, let me uh, agree with you 100% that I thought, I think that was the Washington Post. I, I don't know what the media is doing anymore? Are they trying to denigrate people? Are they trying to tear them down? They're trying to make them less than what they really were. Uh, they didn't know Marty Schottenheimer. I knew him for 10 years. The guy was a great football coach, not a bad coach, not an excellent coach, a great football coach. I've been on the pro football hall of fame committee and uh, he's been a finalist each year. The guy is deserving of it. Now his legacy. Yeah. He never got there. Disappointed. He was disappointed with me. Three times we had the best team in the AFC, and we couldn't get to the uh, we got to the AFC championship game, and Joe Montana got hurt, and we didn't make it there. But the point is that today, and with Bruce Arians winning against our Chiefs, gosh darn it! But Bruce <laughs> is a dear friend. Marty has four assistant coaches that he hired at Kansas City that have gone on to be head coaches and win the Super Bowl. Uh, I like to think that that's part of his legacy also. And that's Bill Cowher and Tony Dungy and Mike McCarthy and now Bruce Arians. So his coaching tree is, is unparalleled. And, and hopefully maybe that will get him into the, into the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame. But um, it's a tough game. It, it, it changes quickly. It changes every minute. Marty was unlucky as far as I'm concerned. Uh, my owner... Lamar Hunt, he called it buzzer's luck. I thought it was a great description. In any event, that didn't happen for him. But the coaches and the players that he taught and developed, I would guarantee you every single one of them, if you ask them today and if the Washington Post want to take the time to ask them, Marty Schottenheimer is deserving of the Hall of Fame. At the end of the day, he was a great person. Not just a great coach, but a great person. He touched so many lives and in such a positive way. I'm very disturbed and disappointed with such a negative headline. You know, they could have done something else. I can guarantee you this. 
the headlines here in Kansas City, and I think even Cleveland, Ohio, don't even come close to some stupid statement like that. Sorry, I'll get off my pulpit. <laughs> no, I no, understand right it. So. It's right, frustrating. Right yeah, so. it's not the best way to sum up uh, such an accomplished life. A, a, a person's life. A person's yeah. life. Let's let's put it there. Yeah. Anyway, it is what it is. But we're here to celebrate a great life, uh, a, a tough ending for a life, a dementia and Alzheimer's disease. Like I said, I, I feel for his wife, Pat, and their their family so much with what they've had to endure the last few years. And uh, what a dear guy, what a dear friend, but also what a fabulous football coach. And in my 35 years in the NFL, uh, I haven't come across any better. Carl, this is exactly why we wanted to have you on for this great context and the great stories. We appreciate your context so much. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, giving us a little peek into Marty Schottenheimer. We appreciate it so much. Stay safe, my friend. My pleasure. Thank you. Carl Peterson there. Spent 20 years with the Chiefs, hired Marty Schottenheimer. Uh, absolutely great moment there for him to come in and give us some of the uh, backstory and uh, the greatness of Marty Schottenheimer. We're brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. When we come back, two stories in college basketball that you have to hear that could be shaping the rest of the season ahead of us. We'll tell it to you next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Don't forget to check out the Spain and Fitz podcast. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests will join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And one thing we're going to be doing over the course of the week is getting you caught up on some of the sports that maybe you haven't paid as much attention to as you've been getting ready for the Super Bowl. We're going to do a deep dive later on into some of the things happening in college basketball. But there are a couple of stories right now, Sarah, that are absolutely prominent that everybody needs to be aware of. And one of them is historic. It involves UConn, and it's crazy for me to say UConn women's basketball in history, but Paige Buchers is absolutely just, uh, sorry. Beckers is absolutely destroying everything. Three straight thirty-point games, as she is absolutely destroying the entire landscape of women's college basketball. Yeah, she's someone that people have watched for years with the mixtapes, right? The Instagram highlights, the YouTube videos of her making unbelievable passes, dominating games at the AAU and high school level. So there was a ton of hype about Paige Beckers before she even got to stores. And she shows up and is outdoing expectations, which I'm saying, for those of you who are unaware, is something. Like Fitz said, she's the first player in UConn history with three consecutive games of 30 points or more. This is a factory. UConn women's basketball, the names that have come out of there, and she's doing stuff we haven't seen there before. She scored the last 13 straight points for the Huskies in a game that everybody looked trash in. The rest of her team shot barely 30%. Tons of turnovers on both sides. And this was a number one South Carolina team that looked like they were still going to get the win in a bad night. And here comes Beckers late in the game, 13 straight points, nine in the extra period. She played all 45 minutes. She was almost... 50% 50% from the field. It's unbelievable. It's, it's, and Fitz, one of the great things about it is you've seen over the years that first there was this argument, UConn is too good. It's bad for basketball, right? Which we never hear in men's sports. But there was a desire for parity, for a rising tide to lift all boats, right? And what we've seen is other teams step up and keep UConn from that championship trophy for a number of years now. And you get these superstars coming in that want to reestablish the great name of the UConn Huskies. And 
you know, what's great is that they come in, they, they make the team great, and that there's other teams around the league that are just as tom- dominant, that are just as talented, that make women's basketball even more fun to watch. When you've got this great machine factory, and then you've got Dawn Staley and her South Carolina team nipping at their heels, too. Well, I think ultimately, to your point, when you've got somebody coming in that lives up to the hype, and the hype around her has been so incredible. You mentioned the big game, six steals, five assists also in that game against South Carolina. So she's getting it done all over the court. And there's something special about watching that. When the hype meets the reality at a school like UConn, that's just uh, those are the special moments that you step back and you just put your feet up and say, I want to see where this goes. Also a reminder of the incredible athleticism that seems to be just coming in. You know, I host the college basketball uh, Countdown to Game Day show on Saturday mornings that we do digitally. And we have a segment every week where we look back at some of the best plays in college basketball over the course of the week. And we joked about it last week that we've had as many, if not more, highlights out of women's basketball this year than we have out of men's because the athleticism right now is absolutely incredible. And you're seeing the sort of crazy layups and the crazy trick shots, the the things that that necessarily didn't get the love that they would have gotten five years ago are getting love now because there's so many women that are playing at a high level across the sport. It's an extremely high skill level across the sport, but also just more attention. Right, people are paying attention yeah, and elevating those plays and, and putting them, uh, putting a spotlight on them, so people can appreciate it. I love that Paige Beckers had that hype coming in because it's got people with their eyeballs on it. She's played 14 games so far at the collegiate level. Listen to these numbers; they're they're frankly unbelievable. In those 14 games, she's averaging 21.1 points, 5.6 assists, and 2.6 steals. She's shooting 56.9 percent from the field and 55.6 percent from three point range. As a freshman that just got put into the collegiate level, it's 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 frankly remarkable. And they've got AZ Fudd coming in next year at UConn, so uh, those two together are going to be absolutely wild. I'm getting ahead of myself, Fitz, but it, it's really exciting to see the talent. Well, this team actually has six freshmen on it, so it, it feels like there's this new generation that's rising, yeah. which is going to be mm-hmm. incredible. You mentioned paying attention, and you're right, by the way. Part of the reason is we're all paying more attention, thank God, to uh, what's happening on the women's side. But on the men's side, there's one story to pay attention to uh, that comes out of the rivalry that on Saturday everybody was captivated by North Carolina Duke. Neither, neither team this year is who they've been. Not saying this is, was going to be that game, but North Carolina got the win. But they got the loss afterwards. There's no nice way to say it. As uh, North Carolina uh, decided they were going to celebrate afterwards. And, Sarah, it's a terrible, terrible look in a world of a pandemic that you've said so smartly is indoor games with, you know, right on top of each other. There's so little protection to these athletes. When you're going out and you're celebrating without masks on indoor afterwards after a win, it's the worst look you can imagine right now from college basketball players to be involved in it. It's so frustrating, you understand that these are young people. You understand the excitement of winning a game. But they had to postpone North Carolina-Miami. Miami has said for right now they are not going to seek reimbursement for travel expenses after they flew a team out for a game that never happened. <coughs> but there was a uh, Snapchat video of UNC forwards um, breaking protocols. They were at a party without masks. The, the players have released a statement apologizing Offering up uh, not not an excuse, an acknowledgement that they behaved poorly, um, that they made bad decisions, and their coach has, has said, you know, uh, Williams has said, you know, we understand, we're frustrated, um, but these guys have done their best all season. They've you know they've played a lot of games and they have. The problem is, Fitz, we need more accountability when this happens. Right now, postponing games, punishing Miami and costing them money, and punishing the rest of the team. 
Um, that's not good enough. If you are still almost a year into this pandemic and you're still going to parties, maskless, indoors, or not even parties, just at all. Fitz, I haven't been indoors with someone without a mask since like maybe September, August. And even then it was like one person. And since then it's gotten so bad that you just know you're not supposed to do that. And so I think they need to forfeit games because somebody said today, it can't just be forfeits because then you're punishing all the other players. That's what COVID is. When you risk the availability of your team to play a game because you made bad decisions with this sort of invisible virus, then yeah, your whole team's going to pay. And maybe you need to have a forfeiture and a loss on your record that you can point to those players and say, that's on you. Not just you postponed a game. You cost us a loss because you couldn't behave correctly. And you do know better. That's why when they write the letter and apologize, they can say with certainty, we shouldn't be doing this. And some of them are saying, you know, it's something to frown upon, but all the friends that I have have partied maskless this year. It doesn't make it okay. Well, and and at some point, Sarah, there is already precedent for the actions of one hurting everybody. I mean, you take a bag of cash as one basketball player, and then you leave the program. That program then has years of penalties that cost subscription, uh, uh, that cost scholarship subscriptions, yeah. cost scholarships, and cost the availability for tournaments for years. So it's not like there isn't already precedent. I'm with you. At some point, we have to look around and say whatever we're trying to do now as a punishment is not enough of a deterrent. And until there is that sort of a punishment that causes a accountability within a locker room and forfeiture is a great way to do that accountability where everybody looks around and says man you're not just messing it up for you you're messing it up for everybody there has to be that level otherwise as the season goes off the rails for some schools i fear that more and more kids won't take this seriously coming up we'll keep the breakdowns coming on that obviously but a new app that could change the future of youth sports we'll tell you about it next spain and fits on espn radio you're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can get it on iTunes app, podcast app, ESPN app. Lots of good digital pre and post parties there you can only find on the podcast, including anything else you missed from the show. Speaking of podcasts, the next guest joining us on the Goodyear Hotline is not only an ESPN soccer analyst, not only a Hall of Famer, not only one of the greatest players of all time, but she also has her very own podcast, Laughter Permitted, on ESPN that you should absolutely subscribe to and give five stars to. And she joins us now to talk about a number of things, Julie Foudy. Foudy! Last time we uh, last time we spoke at length for my podcast, that's what she said, we talked a lot about the movie that's finally going to get made about the 99ers. Do we have any updates on casting for that? I need to know who's going to play you in the film about your life. Um, I, who did I say last time? Was it Dolly uh, Parton? I think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it was, right? I think yeah. she's interested. Perfect. I really do. She's hot um, right now. She no just updates. created a vaccine. It's, it's uh. still being, right. <laughs> she's all the rage. Very relevant. Um uh, there's no update because they're still writing it. The uh, the writer is cranking away. So I will get back to you on that. Banner, who do you think should play me? You know, well, it's I, still... I'm going to yeah. say not Dolly Parton. You guys have very different accents. I'm just saying, <laughs> uh, you know, from my, from my interactions with Dolly, you don't sound... A, like, do you get to have a big say on who plays you in a movie that is about you? Like, I think you should, right? Uh, I, I wrote that into the contract. No, I don't think we get any say. I don't know. I don't know if it... <laughs> uh, let's talk about 
Let's talk about Mojo. You you are um, doing many things besides your podcast and ESPN analysis and getting ready for the Olympic coverage and being part owner of the new NWSL Angel City team that's going to start play next season. You are also now a part of Mojo, uh, which has to do with two things that you love very much, kids and sports. So tell us a little bit more about this sort of one-stop coach-in-a-box kind of thing that's happening with Mojo. Yeah. Well, Ben Sherwood, formerly with ABC, Disney, um, and who is a friend, said, hey, we're starting this new sports app. And I said, tell me about it. And immediately I was like, okay, that is everything that is lacking in youth sports, and how do I <laughs> sign up? Literally, it was like a 10-minute, in 10 minutes in, I was like, stop right there. I'm in. Um, because it's all about making sports more fun for kids. It's about making it uh, accessible. It's about actually helping coaches. I mean, it's for, it's for kids 4 to 13. And as we all know, right, that first experience playing a sport, often it's a parent who, with the best of intentions, raises their hands, but it's kind of a luck of the draw. Like, okay, does this person have a clue or not? And it's that first experience that impacts if these kids are going to stay in sports or not. And as sports get more intense and more competitive, kids are dropping out at alarming rates. It's, I mean, the latest statistic I read was 70% of kids by the age of 13 are not playing sports. When you think about that, it just crushes my soul. So, yeah. And six times the rates, Vayner, for girls. Um, and so this app is all about helping coaches structure practices, you know, any coach. And based on your ability, it's really flexible. So you can put, I have some experience coaching. I don't. I have none. You know, I played at a high level, but I have none like me. Um, <clears throat> so, and most importantly, it's about bringing the joy back. And that's why it's called Mojo, kind of the magic of, of sports, the mojo of sports. So I'm all in. How does it bring the joy back, Julie? Well, one of the big conversations I have with Ben and Reed, who's the one who who is building the app, um, on literally a like biweekly basis is, hey, let's not forget sports are joyful. Let's not forget that everything we're doing when we're shooting like their drills, you know, it should be that coaches are having fun, that you're encouraging the kids to have fun, that there is not just the X's and O's of sports, but it's leadership development, it's character development, it's planting these seeds at a young age, which doesn't take a lot, right? It's just being a great, uh, so you're teaching kids how to, to also be a good athlete. Uh-oh, we're losing Fowdy. Uh, let's see if we can get a better connection with her. I'm looking at this information fits. And I have to say, you know, as someone who doesn't have kids, but often hears about my friends deciding to hop in and coach their kids' teams, it is a total crapshoot. You could get a great coach who makes you love the sport and is good at at setting up practices and, and figuring out how to lead you along. And then you could get those that, that make it a, a really bad experience. And in fact, remember that coach that went viral a couple months ago that we saw abusing a player? Um, and, and there's just there's so many ways that this can be uplifting and empowering and then, of course, can go wrong. So I love the idea of having an app that has practices and content and questions that, that are commonly asked and practice guides that you can print out. Um, Fatty, we lost you for a minute, but I, I just this is such a brilliant idea, and it's so funny that um, it's something that I'm, I'm sure exists in some way, but to have it run by people like you and Russell Wilson and Brandy Chastain and people who are you know Emmy award winning content producers sounds like a big step up. Yeah, well, and that's the thing, right? Like in in soccer, people come to me all the time who are getting into coaches as parents who are volunteering and say, "Where do I go?" And I'm like, uh, "Let me send you to 700 different little you know <laughs> websites and." They- 
well. But, you know, it was very fractured. There was nothing in one place that made a lot of sense. And that, you know, it's hard to shoot curriculum like this with soccer and give that um, to the parent in a really consumable way. So they've done a really good job of that. Um, and, and, and it's all in one place and it's easy. And literally you can change things on the fly to your point. Like, oh, this player didn't show up. I, you know, structured practice for 14 players. I've only got 12 and you just, you know, put it into the, the app and it changes up what your, your practice will look like. So, um, I, I, yeah, I do think it's, it's very needed. And, you know, and Russell Wilson jumps in because he's been, uh, coaching. He's an assistant coach for Little League Baseball. How adorable is that? So he gets it. Um, and, you know, they're starting with soccer, with Mojo, and hopefully they'll expand to other sports. So I, I do think it, there's a void that needs to be filled here for sure. And just to keep kids in and playing and having fun, that's the main goal in all of this. I've always thought, guys, it's alarming. I mean, obviously, everybody knows I don't have a big sports background in my life. But uh, it, it's weird for me to think of as a musician, as a kid, I can't imagine going to an orchestra and then everybody's like, yeah, well, my neighbor has a CD, so he's going to teach the entire <laughs> right. orchestra how to play. Like, it, it makes zero sense. So so the, the concept of the app itself makes a ton of sense. So to make sure I understand it, and everybody does, Julie, if you're a coach and you're coming in and you can basically tell the, the app how much experience you have, and then it's going to give you the tools that you need to structure your practices the best way. Yeah, exactly. So you could say, I'm a, you know, a beginner coach. I know nothing about the sport. This is how old my team is. This is how many players we have. This is what I'd like to work on. And my practice is 90 minutes. And then it just goes pop, 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 pop. And then you can adjust it as you want, too. If you're like, and you can grade, like, I really like that practice. This didn't work. That worked. So it's got all these curriculum ideas built in. I will tell you the one time. And this may have changed my career trajectory. The one time I had to coach, I never coached my kids when they were younger. They're now 12 and 14, so they're still young. But I never coached them because I was always traveling, right? One time my friend who was the coach said, I cannot make it. Something came up. Can you take the pink butterflies for the day? And this is my daughter, Izzy's team, the pink butterflies. I was like, no, don't do this to me. I haven't even. Yeah, and and you're a Hall of Famer. (laughs) <laughs> okay uh, they were undefeated the butterflies this is like her under six team i end up losing their only game the game oh my god <laughs> that's amazing that's amazing I, oh gosh I, I was like if i had the mojo app then i might have gone into coaching because i would have been make- like yeah no problem well, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm kind of glad to hear that outside of being a player, you're a curse on all teams because I'm obviously a huge Red Stars supporter, and that bodes well for our future meetings when when the Angel City team gets going. Uh, Julie, thanks for the time, and good luck with uh, with Mojo. Sounds like a great idea. Thanks, Julie. All right. Thanks, you guys. Foudy, she's the best. Listen to her podcast, Laughter Permitted, and, of course, check out all of her soccer analysis you ever look at the word an analyst and then you can't say analysis because you're looking at the and ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $750 on average. Coming up, it's a busy day, so we got to do some quickies. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on a Tuesday night. ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. 
We've still got some cleanup from the Super Bowl. We've got all sorts of sports that we've been ignoring while we focused on the NFL. And when we get overwhelmed, we have to go to Quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. That's right. And speaking of topics that kind of hit fast that I haven't heard that many people talking about, Fitz, Dak Prescott excluded from the Cowboys 2021 season hype video. They are claiming that this was an accident. Is it possible to exclude your quarterback from your hype video in the National Football League by accident? No. Well, I mean, I wouldn't think so. (laughs) You think about the number of people that have to approve a hype video. Like, it gets made by somebody. Like, you think about for us. If somebody's making a a college football hype video, the the person that makes it then gives it to their boss who approves it, who then gives it to a producer who approves it. Like, it takes five or six layers to get out to the public. So I think the only fair thing is if it was by accident, then make the person that made it come out and, and just admit it. Like, stand in front of a mic and say, yeah, I left Dak off. Because I just want to find out what person paid by the Cowboys forgot to include their starting quarterback. By the way, you're right. We're not talking enough about it. You want to talk about one negotiation that could get contentious? Mm-hmm. Dak just got that one year of guarantee. Guaranteed money that went in his pocket, and we're presuming that now suddenly as he rehabs, he's going to come back to the Cowboys, and they're all going to kumbaya. I don't think it's easy. I don't think he's decided he wants anything less than what he wanted before. So no indication that Dak's camp has changed or the Cowboys have changed. I still think there's a shot they don't get anything worked out. Dak had some stats that despite getting injured five games into the season, he was still leading in multiple categories several games after that. That's how good of a start he had. And the response is, this was simply an oversight that should have been caught and corrected by us. Anyone who's making it seem like Cowboys decision makers use social media videos to make statements doesn't understand or take the time to understand how it all works. Trust me, there's no story here. Okay, so you made a glaring error and then the condescension is headed our way for how we're misreading it? Okay, that's uh, all right, moving on. Quickies. <laughs> Renee Montgomery, friend of the show, who we are massive fans of, two-time NBA, uh, sorry, WNBA champion who opted out of last season in order to pursue social justice initiatives and be a mouthpiece and a voice uh, while the country was undergoing uh, some pretty radical discussions and a much needed overhaul of centuries worth of racism has decided she wants to keep doing that. So she's retiring after 11 seasons in the league. She made the announcement today on her podcast remotely. Renee Fitz, I was absolutely over overwhelmed and impressed with her every time we spoke to her, every piece of media that she does. Um, not only is she saying the right things, she's asking the right questions, and she's doing it in a way that's accessible to everybody. Um, I think she will be an incredible voice for black and brown communities, uh, LGBTQ communities, and probably will have an even bigger impact uh, outside of the sport than she did in it. Well, and this is a uh, an important moment here to remind everybody that she chose to retire. This is not one of those moments where you just mail it in and say, I'm out. Like, she she absolutely could still be playing in the league if yeah. she wanted to. She chose not to, and that also doesn't surprise me because stepping away for social justice initiatives, there's still so much work to be done if that's your passion. Uh, I, it doesn't surprise me at all, and these are the stories that we need to continue to talk about also because so often you've got ignorant fan A over here that says, well, why don't they put their money where their mouth is? Well, part of the issue is when you step away from the game to take care of these other things that matter to you, sometimes you lose part of the platform because you're no longer in the game. So I think it's important for the WNBA that even if she's not playing, it's important for everybody that her voice remain amplified through the game somehow. Yeah, I agree with that. My only concern is that it's unfortunate to me that the salaries – 
an influence of WNBA players make this a decision that can be made wisely, Very right? True. We would never encourage an NBA player to retire in order to have a bigger and more prominent voice. We would argue that they lose the power of that platform if they leave. And unfortunately, because she probably makes more money as an analyst for the Hawks, which she's in her first season doing, she probably makes more money on her podcast platforms. I'm not saying she's leaving for the money, but I'm saying it's easier to make this decision uh, when the platform that you're given from your sport doesn't have the same impact and the same influence because of the coverage it gets. And so... Something and to keep in mind. You're really right about that, by the way. That's part of why I think it's important that the WNBA find a way to keep her voice around things. Because if, you, if you're going to be a sport that can't offer people financial incentive to stay in every instance, you better do everything else right, which the NBA has done largely. So that, that's, to me, the, the symbiotic relationship can continue somehow. And if the WNBA can find a way to do that, it's a win for them to tell everybody else you have a voice here throughout the entirety of your, your time around the league. Yeah. Moving on. Quickies. Quickies. There we go. Yeah, I was waiting for the uh, sexy voice. Yeah, we can't do it. We, we don't have the sexy voice for it. Uh, speaking of retirements, Jocelyn Lamoureux-Davidson and Monique Lamoureux-Morando uh, have uh, announced their retirement today from the U.S. Women's National Hockey Team. Uh, these two, you cannot possibly encompass the impact that they've had, not just on the ice as players and their incredible talent, but the influence that they have been a part of, including being a part of the team that threatened to boycott a U.S. on, you know, home ice U.S. Uh, participation in a national, um, sorry, at a world championship. Uh, their willingness alongside Hillary Knight and other massive voices and actually going straight down to all the minors, all the folks that got the call and said, will you be willing to step in for these professionals? And those women said, no, this is a unified front in order to do better for the next generation. Uh, they were a part of some really big moments for this hockey team that elevated their status and allowed for the efforts to have professional uh, hockey leagues that have, have not taken hold but um, have absolutely been uh, a, a, a step forward. And if you remember, Fitz, they both scored in that 2018 Olympic final against Canada, giving them their first gold in 20 years. This is a little of what it sounded like. Terrible change by the Canadians. That's why there was so much time and space and really good awareness by Team USA to tie it up. More Lamarus. Keep putting them out there. And we are headed for a shootout as overtime comes to an end in Pyeongchang. We go round by round. Jocelyn Lamarus. Two goals apiece in the shootout. Lamarus moving in on Zabinas. She beats and scores! Oh, do you remember that? The oops, yes. I did it again move, the shootout goal, and I'm not BSing you. That is one of the most exciting sporting events in my lifetime. So many of us were staying up late to watch that as it went into penalties. Uh, a massive accomplishment to win gold over Canada in that game, and they were a part of it. So congrats to them on a great career. And by the way, human highlight reels of, of joy, too. Just the, the joy that they brought every time they played. Yeah. It should be noted. Uh, that they've got a book coming out. Also, they've made it clear that they intend to continue to be involved, that they'll be involved in the negotiations as Team USA uh, and their their negotiations with the Team USA hockey with the women's national contract expires in April. So they're still going to be around the game uh, advocating for it and helping it grow, which is important for them. 
It's huge. It's huge. Uh, like you said, Dare to Make History, Chasing a Dream and Fighting for Equity is the book that's coming out. Um, and, you know, I say this a lot, but some of the very best, most talented women in sports not only have to be incredible athletes, incredible competitors, clutch performers, but they have to sell tickets, be sponsors, be role models, right? The amount of pressure that's on on the shoulders of these women to go far beyond just being athletes uh, is is it's impressive when they hold it all together. And those two went out and I, I believe had babies at the same time too. So they're doing it all <laughs> together as twins, including retiring today. Congrats to them. Coming up, the baseball season is just around the corner and a friend's going to stop by. Catch us up on everything we've missed. It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Look, everybody's had their mind completely on football. We all had to make it through college football in the NFL season. We finally made it through the Super Bowl, so we're going to do something fun on the show. We're going to take some opportunities over the course of the next week to get everybody caught up on some of what they might not have been paying attention to. So what did I miss? What did I miss? I love the little jingle there. What did I miss? We're going to start with all things Major League Baseball, and to do that, we're going to head over to the Goodyear Hotline where we're joined by Tim Kirchin. Tim, thanks so much for joining us as we start What Did I Miss? As we start the baseball season, look around the landscape. What are the biggest question marks to you going into this season? <laughs> well, the question is, are we going to start spring training on time? I think we are. Are we going to start the regular season on time? I'm not so sure about that. Are we going to be able to get in 162 games? I'm not too sure about that. I think that's the biggest question. Those are the biggest questions. The other questions are so good. Like, how good are the Blue Jays? How good are the Padres? How much better have the White Sox gotten? I mean, how good are the Mets going to be? These are the questions we want to talk about. But I, I just can't talk about them until I'm sure that we're going to be able to play and that we're going to get through this. Not everyone believes that, you know, two weeks into spring training, everything's going to be great and that no one's going to test positive and we're all going to be good. I I just hope that's the case, believe me. But I just can't be certain of anything until COVID clears the way and says you can play. Yeah, I agree with you, Tim. It sounds like they they argued for maybe a later start at spring. That was denied. So we're full, full steam ahead for the spring start. And then we see how things go during that spring season. There's also a lot of conversation around the changes to the game, the things that they picked up last year and kept or things they decided not to. Let's go through each of them quickly. Are you are you for the seven inning doubleheaders being a thing again this season? Sarah, I'm 64 years old. I'm not for a seven-inning doubleheader, and I'm sorry. It's just the way I grew up. They played two nine-inning games, one gate. It was great. It was the best day you could spend at a ballpark, two nine-inning games. However, I have to be clear about this. If we're going to have another COVID-affected season, like last year, I think a seven-inning doubleheader is a good idea. We have to get through this. I I think it's a terrible idea, but it worked last year (laughs) because we had to get through 60 games. So if we're going to fight our way to get through 162 and it's going to be difficult, which it's going to be, then whatever makes it easier, you can count me in on. But going long term, uh, it's not the way to go, not for me. 
All right, so then, Tim, walk me through what that moment is like for you whenever it's extra innings and a runner starts on second base. Like, what level of enjoyment do you have for that? (laughs) I don't like that either. But I liked (laughs) it last year because it got the games over faster, which kept people healthier and allowed us to get to another day. And I think we're going to be in a similar circumstance potentially this year. So... I'm all for putting them on runner on second this year also because, again, it's going to be a COVID-affected season. But when we go to real baseball, 162 games, and we're back to the traditional style, I am I am against this. I don't see what's so terrible about a 15-inning game. Some of the greatest games I've ever covered went 18 innings. I know it takes a long time. I understand, but I think – We've been playing nine innings, and we haven't put a runner at second for 150 years. I And I think the game worked out pretty well at that time. It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to the great Tim Kirkshen. As the baseball season approaches, what did we miss? What do we need to catch up on before everything gets going? I actually like last season, at least, the games that I was at, the man on second and extras. I thought it got things going with some excitement, but I'm not sure yet long term. But I agree with you, at least in the COVID sense, that it's a smart move. DH rule. My my head says it just makes sense to have the same thing on both sides. My heart says I like pitchers who rake and I like strategy. So I'm happy that they didn't keep the universal DH. What's your thought on that one? Well, I like pitchers hitting also, but my thought is we should just have the same set of rules in each league. To me, it makes absolutely no sense that we've been playing by a different set of rules since 1973. It doesn't make any sense to me. I actually like it when a pitcher gets a hit. I actually like the strategy of when do you take your pitcher out. However, in order to get both sides together on anything and get the same set of rules, I'm okay with a DH in both leagues. I just can't understand why we haven't gotten that far yet. But if I were in charge, and clearly I'm not, I would have the pitcher's bat in both leagues. As we get everybody caught up on what they may have missed getting ready for the baseball season to start, Tim, let's uh, look at some of the action we will get on the field. Uh, What player do you think has the biggest impact with his new team? Um. I can't wait to see Francisco Lindor with the Mets. The Mets needed that real dynamic player at the top of the order, middle of the lineup, middle of the field, the energy with which he plays, the skill level. He's arguably one of the five best players in the game. And with the Mets, with all this enthusiasm, a new owner with a lot of money, a much improved team, and now you add that guy without giving up a significant piece from your everyday lineup or rotation or bullpen, uh, I think this is the most intriguing part for me is what is Lindor going to do. And yet there are five, six other stories that I can't wait to watch. I just hope I get to watch them this spring and not from a press box <laughs> and not from, not from my house. We'll see how that goes. Tim Kirkshin with us here, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. This is a, a, a broad question, but, you know, I had a feeling that the NBA without a bubble would look significantly different than the bubble season, and it has. How normal do you think this baseball season will feel compared to what we had last year? Well, I don't think it's going to feel normal in any way. I think it'll feel a little bit more normal than last year. But again, this is the key, Sarah. What happens if two weeks into spring training we have to pause it? much like last year. 
Look, I love basketball, and I really think Steph Curry can take three weeks off and hit a (laughs) drifting three to his right with no chance of going in, and he makes it. But in baseball, if you take three weeks off from that game, you kind of have to start all over again, especially with our pitchers. So that's my huge concern is that we're going to get started, and two weeks in, without the protection of bubbles and everything else, that it's just going to be natural. A bunch of guys are going to test positive. Then what do we do? And if you're doing it at the start of a season like that, and you have to play 162, not 60, not 81, it, it, it really just multiplies the issues. So I just got my fingers crossed that we can – that. No bubble, and the way we're going to do this, we're going to stay safe. But logically, that is unlikely at this point. Well, Tim, in fairness, the NBA and the NHL both went from a bubble to trying to survive out of the bubble. Huge adjustment. What can Major League Baseball take away from the success they had in at least getting to a World Series last year that can help them get games played in this non-bubble environment this year? Right. Well, what they have to do is do what everyone did for the last couple months of the season. And that's show enormous discipline and just stay in your hotel, go to the ballpark, go home, go to the hotel. That's it. Whatever it is, you can't be messing around with this because we've seen what happens when even one little mistake is made, an entire team can be infected and then the schedule becomes complete bedlam. So I was so impressed with how the young players especially, but all the players and all the people around the clubs showed that discipline that was necessary to get us through a World Series last year. Now we're going to have to do it not for 60 games. We're going to have to do it for 162, and obviously that's going to make it a whole lot harder. Sarah Spain and Jason Fitz were talking to the great Tim Kirkshen as baseball season approaches. Tim, we talked about this a little bit on the show yesterday, but nearing the end of the Super Bowl, we got the absolutely tragic, awful news about Pedro Gomez passing just 58 years old. A shock, a surprise to all of us. And um, I can say for certain for us that this baseball season will not be the same without him on our team. I can only imagine the stories that you have uh, working alongside him for years. And I wondered if you had anything uh, to share about Pedro. Well, I am heartbroken. I am crushed. We all are. Pedro was one of my dear friends. He's one of the best baseball writer reporters that I've ever been around. And a lot for many of those years that we worked together, almost 20 years, we did the World Series together. And, you know, after World Series games, it's not an easy job to go into the clubhouse with that camera crew on your back. And especially going into the losing clubhouse. Pedro looked at me all the time and said, I'll take the losing clubhouse. Don't worry, I got this. He was totally fearless. He did ne- He never hesitated walking in the middle of a crowd and asking a difficult question, even to someone who just lost the game by giving up a homer. Not to mention, three straight years, he showed up at Barry Bonds' locker every single day. I promise you, there's no way I would have wanted to do that or could have done that. But Pedro would get yelled at certain days, and the next day he showed up again and asked more questions. No story was too big for Pedro Gomez, and in the end, no story was too small for him. Gave him a job, and he did it. And I admire him tremendously for all that he did for all of us over the years. Tim, we appreciate your time, your expertise, your insight, getting us caught up on everything and your stories about Pedro. Always a blast having uh, the opportunity to talk, to talk with you, my friend. Stay safe through this, and thanks so much for joining us. 
Thanks, Tim. My pleasure. See you guys. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. With insurance for cars, homes, boats, motorcycles, RVs, and commercial vehicles at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and Progressive.com. All this baseball talk has me thinking, I got a question for you, Sarah, about spring training and attendance for everybody at these events. We'll talk about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. This is your jam. Yeah, I think I've told this story before, but I intentionally went to see a live taping of the Jimmy Kimmel show when I first moved to L.A. solely because Cameron was going to be on doing that song. And it was back when Jimmy Kimmel had guest hosts and his guest host for the week was Mike Tyson. And I was in the front row looking all fine in early 20s. And Mike Tyson asked me out on a date during the commercial break and I pretended not to hear him. You didn't go out on a date? Like, no. I'd go out on a date And the people around me were Tyson. like, he's talking to you. I'm like, shut up, shut up. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, Mike, call me. Mike you know, Tyson. we'll just, just, we can just go do karaoke all night. But me Cameron crushed. Because this is a jam. <laughs> uh, Spain and Fitz, Doesn't it make you dance? Spain Are you dancing right now? Fitz? Uh, look, I, if I am, nobody hey, wants to see it. That Listen. is the one thing that always, Listen. everybody's like, oh, you have rhythm. Like, the ability to dance has nothing to do with rhythm. I've uh, Yeah, I would not expect you to be able to dance. If, just seeing yeah. you run. Yeah. And I put quotation marks around that for those who can't see me. Uh, Yogging, I believe the J. Your your like lower leg looks like the Flintstones people when they're driving a car with their feet. I'm not mad at it. There we go. Uh, Sarah Spade, Jason Fitz, Spade and Fitz. Uh, I was thinking of you as we were talking to Tim Kirch and Sarah because uh, it's almost spring training, and if there's anything that I know in our opportunities to work together for the last few years. Is spring training is like a rite of passage for you, right? So you go out to Arizona mm-hmm. with a bunch of friends, and you guys do the deed. And so I was really thinking, and by that I mean you you hang out and party with friends. I should really be more clear about that. Uh, but <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, I, I was thinking about it because I can't figure out how I would feel if I walked into a, a stadium to watch concert, an arena, whatever, to go to a game. And I had like a stranger sitting next to me. So where are you on the entire concept of, of stadiums or arenas having people in them at this point? Like, how are you handling spring training? Okay, so let me start with the big picture, which is it requires a tremendous amount of cognitive dissonance to understand sports going on during this time where it feels like our response to COVID is close things. Things get better. Reopen them. Things get worse. Close things. Things get better reopen them things right it's this cyclical thing where we don't seem to understand that's going to take a significant more uh, uh action than what we've done thus far to really eradicate it thank goodness the vaccinations are going to help uh, but so big picture i think there's a lot of flaws with the way that the sports world has handled this even though i understand the need for profit and people's jobs and everything else i think there are some that have done it well and others have not thus far it sounds like the approach to spring training is a pretty smart one, 25% capacity for the Cubs spring training ballpark that holds 15,000, so about 3,500 people. Uh, Masks required unless you're eating or drinking in your specific seat location. Uh, Otherwise, masks everywhere. There'll be scattered seating in pods of two to six people that you choose to sit together. You are not forced to, so you will be separated and distant from other people. It's all outside, which is significantly better in terms of spread. So I would feel comfortable going to a spring training baseball game. And if the opportunity arises when I'm out there, I'm going to be out there the first week of March. Um, I booked the trip regardless. I've gone one place on a plane since last March. And to be honest, I just need to get out of here. I have trouble not working if I'm in my house. Even if I'm technically supposed to be having the day off, it doesn't tend to work out for me. I get dragged into work. 
So I need to remove myself from the office, which is my house, and from minus six degrees. Uh, so I just booked it. And I don't care if I get to see baseball. I just need to be somewhere warm and not have anyone be able to ask me to do something for work. Um, but I think if the opportunity arises, I would be willing to go to that game. It seems like a safe environment and one where you can really control your own interactions with people. Um, and I don't know if that's a precursor for what we'll see in baseball. You you know, Fitz, that last year I was lucky enough to get to go to five or six games on that rooftop across the street from Wrigley that was socially distanced, uh, tiny capacity. There was usually five to 12 people on a three-floor building. Um, so uh, I would love for that to be the case during the baseball season if they can do it smartly. Uh, but, you know, that requires everybody to be all in, including things like concessions and bathrooms coming in and out of the parks, Right where there might be bottlenecks. Um, and I, I don't know if I trust most people. Well, and, and that's all very fair. It's uh, one of the difficult things after the Super Bowl was seeing a lot of people comment on the crowd size uh, at the game that may or may not have been aware that many of the people that you saw in the stadium were actually cardboard cutouts. I think that's an important right. thing to be. You know, I saw some of my friends uh, within the music business saying, well, if we're just going to let the stadium be full for a Super Bowl, then we're going to let it be full for a Kenny Chesney concert as well. Well, it's not, it wasn't full. Right. A, uh, they did a nice job of, of creating that. But B, uh, there's still a lot of, of steps that need to go through through all of this. And, and it's difficult because with so many of my friends in the music business, I keep an eye on when touring will start. I'm not sure anybody really knows what's going to be comfortable. So I, that, that's what really sent me down the rabbit rabbit hole of, you know, if I'm sitting here and I can go to a game, part of the joy, and, and they've done a really nice job with some of these setups of making sure you're not around people, but part of the joy of going to watch a Raiders game in person, for example, is the Raiders score a touchdown and you run over and you high five some random stranger, maybe getting a little hug there. Like, I'm not sure what that moment looks like in the right. new world. Like, it doesn't air high five from three boxes away really seem worth it to go to a game instead. Well, okay. So first of all, I would say for the for for the spring training stuff, even though the Cubs Sloan Park often sells out, there's also a lot of people in and out. They're going and lying on the lawn or they're buying beer or doing whatever. So it feels usually much more spread out and open than a regular game. So it wouldn't feel weird to go there and be distanced. It it, it would just feel like it was near the end of a game or a really hot day where people are in the shade. So that would feel fine. As for like a normal, like an NFL game, of course, we would all take that over nothing. And for some of us, I agree with you. I tend to high five the people near me and and want to engage. But I also like one benefit to the pandemic is like being able to just give people stink face when they come anywhere near me, because I don't like (laughs) people being near me that I haven't invited into my space. And so the idea that people have to stay away from me is nice. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. And I would I would imagine that many women are saying similar things right now. Just like people have to stay away from you. And that's nice. Well, I feel like half of my male friends are saying that because I've always been a high five the women, hug the men. Like that's yeah, the, the you're general absolutely rule. A, yeah. a, a hugger and you're absolutely a no respect for personal space kind of person. Yeah, but with women, always high five, you know, always, uh, always distance there. Like, uh, that's always been my my mantra on that. So, uh, but yes, I think if your last name's Golick, you're really particularly happy that I can't <laughs> hug you right now. It, but it, it just feels it's one of the complications they're going to have to get figured out because uh, ultimately, as we get into 2021, everybody's trying to figure out what these games are going to look like, uh, how baseball is going to be able to get anything done. It's what Kirchin hinted to or spoke directly on, I should say, that I think it's so important. How do we find a way to get these? games played well it's going to require incredible diligence and I don't know if that really includes fans yeah I I I agree with you and I think 
the way that Kirkshin responded to a lot of our questions about the future of the of the of the game reminds us that baseball's ability to do what it did over the course of sixty games with limited locations is just not the same as trying to endeavor an entire season. Um, and I think we've stopped guessing at the future as much as we did early pandemic, because none of us could have imagined we'd still be here a year later. Yeah, that's such a great point that, you know, for any conversation about what's to come, think about how many times we've tried to have that conversation and been wrong. Freddie and Fitzsimmons coming up next. They'll keep getting you caught up on everything for today. Thank you so much for hanging out with Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and ESPN app. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.